Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Today I have four stories for you. Four. So count them. We're going to do that thing where the person gets up to preach and they tell you a number and you spend the whole time waiting, 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 and then finally they say, and now for my second point. And you think, oh gosh, there's two more to go. Four stories. But I'll keep them sweet and short as I can. And the thing about these stories is each and every one of them is absolutely true. But none of them should have happened. The first one took place a long, long time ago when I was about five years old. I was playing t-ball, baseball, where you have a little tee, you got to hit the ball. This is when you're first learning how to play the game. And I was a first baseman, and I remember my team was pretty good, we were decent, but at some point in time, as I'm playing in first base, person up the bat hits the ball, goes over to somebody else, they throw the ball to me, I catch the ball, and the umpire does his thing with his hand and shouts, out! Now the first base coach for the other team, who's standing on the other side of the first base, helped the players along, he gets really upset about this. And he starts yelping at the umpire because this is Little League Baseball. This is important. He starts yelping at the umpire that the umpire got the call wrong. And then after an argument between the two of them, he finally comes back over to the batters, uh, the coach's box next to first base. And here's what I did. I made a huge mistake. I quietly looked at him and said, I thought he was safe too. Oh my gosh, I just started a fire. He ran back to the umpire, yelling again, calling for me. Listen to what he said. You, so get over here right now. Stay right, tell him what you just said. I thought he was safe too. Whoa, umpire didn't like that either. But either way, the thing that struck out to me the most was once the inning was over, once we got the third out, and I went back to the dugout, my coach, who was a great guy, but my coach looked at me and he said, Kevin, what are you doing? Don't ever say that to the umpire. We got the call that we wanted. And I remember just being, uh, the term used in my family is flabbergasted. I remember thinking like, whoa, okay, so what you're telling me is honesty isn't always good. Sometimes when it serves my purpose, I, it's okay for me to be dishonest, or at least, at least, to stay quiet and not step into what's going on. I can just be passive over here. It stayed with me, that story. I don't know why. I have a handful of moments from my childhood that 
that I can remember. I can close my eyes and I can see them happening. And that's one of them. I thought he was safe too. I'll never say those words again. Second story took place a little bit longer ago, actually about 105 years ago. In the summer of 1914, a war broke out like nobody had ever seen before. A war between numerous countries using weapons that had never been used before, using tactics that were deadlier than had ever been used before. And the world was coming to grips with this, this world war that was taking place. And as the soldiers were learning how to fight this war, they were developing uh, what is known as trench warfare. They, they dug trenches, and they would hide in these trenches. But what you have to know is, in the winter of 1914, this was still relatively new. They hadn't figured out. They hadn't had years of experience of digging trenches yet. So they hadn't figured out exactly how to dig a trench. So they had these trenches that were mostly muddy walls and muddy floors. And they would fight from these. And they would live in these. And they would be scared. If you even stuck a little bit of your head up above that trench, you risked death. I remember growing up watching movies of wars. You know, I love John Wayne, so I'd watch uh, all these movies of wars, and you'd have somebody leaning up against like a tire, like an old wagon wheel tire, with all their body exposed, but somehow they're perfectly concealed. And I thought, oh, this is fine. And then when I was a teenager, I went and played paintball once. And if you haven't played paintball, you shoot little you know, balls of paint at each other, and those suckers hurt. And what I learned playing paintball is those movies were all wrong. Because if this much of my pinky stuck out from behind the barricade, it got shot. And it hurt. So I can only imagine what it would be like for these soldiers. They stick their pinky out, it's not a paintball coming at them. Now, by the wintertime, they ended up not really fighting each other so much as they were fighting the weather. It was cold and it was wet. And the water would seek in. The field that they were on, this particular field, this one day, Flanders field, uh, the water level was high on that field. So every time it rained, the water would pour into the trenches and they would find themselves walking and crawling through a foot of water and mud that they sunk into like quicksand. Now the rainy season is December. So it had been raining for a month. And they were living their life drenched and soaked in cold dug down in these trenches, crawling through the muck and the mud, hopefully being able to stack enough stuff up that they can sleep where it's dry, hanging their food from the roof inside the little bunks that they created to keep their food dry. This is the condition that they're in, and it is hell on earth. Because you are dug deep down in this cold, wet mud, and if you so much as stick a finger out, you're in danger. So Christmas Eve came along. And a British soldier looking out of his trench over toward the German trenches saw some lights, saw some fires being lit. And he immediately called back to his commanding officer and said, the Germans, something is up. It looks like they're about to attack. And as they were getting ready to counterattack, they heard a sound that they weren't expecting. They heard coming from the German trenches Voices of men singing Silent Night. And not knowing what else to do, the British soldiers started singing 
Silent Night. The Germans singing the original Austrian, the English singing it in English, and together singing the song. And then it went on into the next song, the first Noel. And then it went on into Good King Wenceslas. And together these two armies started singing with each other across a field on a Christmas Eve. The lights that the Germans had been lighting were candles attached to trees, all Tenenbaum. Now the rain happened to stop that Christmas Eve and a dry cold came and it froze the ground so that they could actually stand up in the trenches, still hunched over, but actually stand up not in the mud. And that was a relief to them. And that night it snowed. And when they woke up in the morning, a British soldier heard from the German trench, English, you know shoot, we know shoot. And they looked up over their trench and they saw a few German soldiers standing up in daylight on their parapets. If your pinky is showing, it's getting shot. And they are completely standing in total daylight. And the British didn't shoot. And slowly one British soldier raises his hands up and he climbs out of his trench. And he sees the Germans and they don't shoot. And they look at each other from across the field not shooting. They slowly walk towards each other and when they finally get close enough, they reach out and they embrace and shake hands and they introduce themselves. By the end of the day, they were exchanging gifts. There's a story of one English officer who met a German officer and the German officer had come across some letters from another Englishman who had died. So he gave those letters to the English officer and said, maybe you could give these to the man's family. So that English officer took off a silk scarf that his wife had sent him and gave it to the German. Well, the German, embarrassed that he had nothing in return, sent one of his soldiers to go back and get the fur gloves that his family had sent him. They were exchanging gifts. By the end of the day, they were playing football, soccer, together. Out on that snow-covered field, that snow that made the ground solid so for the first time in a month they could stand up straight and hard on hard ground. They could get out of their trenches and see the cover and the beauty of the earth and the snow covering the ground that is littered with the dust and destruction and bodies of warfare. For one day, they found peace. And it never should have happened. Because the generals, the authorities, those in power and control of the armies didn't want that to happen. They had actually passed uh, rules saying that there will not be any unofficial truce, any unofficial armistice. You will not do this. Because when you have two armies that are fighting against each other, the last thing you want your soldiers to know is that those soldiers are human too. There's actually a letter written back from an English uh, officer who met a German officer and they had a conversation about how they both thought they were fighting for freedom against each other. They didn't know why they were fighting, but they knew they were taking a moment to say, forget about this plan that the world has for us. We're coming together, if only for one day, to find peace, to find something different, something honest, something true. In 1915, there was no Christmas truce because the generals had grown wise and they had developed plans and they ordered 
barrages and artillery and machine gun fire. They planned attacks for Christmas Eve in 1950 to make sure that that truce would not happen again. Many of the soldiers who played soccer in 1914 never saw Christmas in 1915. But I will know who they are for that one moment where they had the guts to stand up and find peace. And it's not passive. It's not sitting off to the side, not doing anything, and hoping that everything will be better. If I just keep my mouth shut, then I have found peace. That is not peace. That is hiding. Peace is not passive. It is active. It is work. And we are called to try for it, to aim for it, to do it. We are called to love each other. Jesus did not come to this earth and die for me so that I could choose how to love somebody else. He did that for me so I could love them the way he wants me to. And the way I do that is by seeking out, actively finding peace. And it takes guts. You've got to be brave. You've got to be willing to be that first person to call for it. To sing the song, to say, you know shoot, I know shoot. And then to give the faith to stand up and make yourself vulnerable. The third story took place 2,000 years ago. A gentleman was betrothed to a woman and he found out that she was pregnant, which was obviously a huge no-no. So this gentleman had every right, every right by the culture and the people of the time to turn that woman in, to let her be disgraced the way she was supposed to be for this being found in the situation she's in. He had every right to do that. In fact, many of the people around him, the authorities around him would tell him that's what you should do. Save yourself, save your own honor, you are a righteous man. Make sure you stay righteous by getting rid of her. That's what should have happened on that night. And it didn't. Instead, a man for a moment thought about somebody other than himself and how what he can do for this person mattered more than what he did for himself. And he agreed that he would let her go quietly from their arrangement. He wouldn't disgrace her. He wouldn't make a fuss. He wouldn't let anybody know. That shouldn't have happened. And then the angel of the Lord showed up and said, stay with this woman. Something amazing is happening here. And he had to step out on faith to trust in that. That should not have happened according to the authorities of the people of the time. We don't do that. We don't step out on faith and give our love. We don't put somebody else's needs, somebody who clearly has wronged us. We don't put them above our own. Thirty years after that is our final story. We read about it last week when John the Baptist, imprisoned, sends out a messenger to Jesus to say, hey, go find Jesus and ask him, are you the Christ we're waiting on? Are you the Messiah? Or should we expect another one? And the reason John is asking him that is because Jesus isn't doing what John, John the Baptist, the greatest man born of woman, per Jesus who said that, the greatest man born of a woman, 
is still thinking that the Messiah is supposed to do things the way that he thinks they're supposed to do. John the Baptist, Jesus did not come to this world and die for you so that you could choose how he acts in this world. You see, Jesus wasn't raising an army. He wasn't challenging the authorities in grand ways. He was slowly working his way around, talking to the people he's not supposed to talk to, loving the people he's not supposed to love, healing the people who deserve to be dirty, deserve to be unhealed, doing everything different than what even John the Baptist anticipated or expected. He didn't sit back passively. He worked for peace. And he died for peace. He said, they are so important that I am willing to risk my own life to save them. That shouldn't happen. But it did. Our last Advent candle, our fourth candle that is lit today, is the candle of peace. And it is a peace that does not make sense to us because we are humans. We are self-interested. Do not you dare tell the umpire that you thought it was safe. That doesn't benefit you. Do not put down your weapons and do not go out there and play soccer with these guys. I don't want you to know they're human. We have to fight with each other. Do not hold on to this woman. She is a disgrace. You need to send her away to be stoned. Don't spend time with prostitutes and tax collectors. Don't let them arrest you. What type of king are you? Don't die. God challenges our expectations. And he offers us a peace that we cannot understand because it is a peace from him and it is divine and glorious and what we hope for and what we pray for is a glimpse of that peace but here's something you need to know and here's everything I want to say today it's not passive you cannot just sit off to the side and say God I'm not going to do anything and I want peace in this world if you want it you have to make it happen Peace is not passive. It is active. When I look at you on our Sunday mornings and I say, peace be with you, I'm not saying, hey, I won't bother you. I'm saying I am coming after you with love and acceptance and peace. It is work, and we are called to do it. There's a, a hymn or a song, Let Peace Begin or Be on Earth, and let it begin with me. I have one amendment to that song. And that's because I think I have pretty solid theology. My one amendment is this. Let there be peace on earth. But it already began with you. Let me be a part of that. Let me be your tool. To be the one to have the strength to stand up and say, don't shoot. Peace. To shout at the top of my lungs. Peace. Let that be our prayer this final few days of Advent. That as we look to the coming of Christ, as we look for his return in our lives, we might not know what it's going to look like. It will most likely challenge our expectations. It will most likely be an amazing, true story that nobody believes should ever happen or expect. But what will be the result will be 
something we all truly are longing for. Peace. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit.